Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 130th episode of the award-winning Diverse Minds Podcast. This month's focus is all about giving and sharing. And today we're going to be talking about trauma recovery through somatic movement for ourselves and others, how we can share stories, give support in a way that's appropriate if we're not a professional. And to join me in doing this is the wonderful Ava Ruby Williams. Ava is a queer artist, community facilitator, activist, and yoga teacher. She has Ghanaian and Indian descent and lives in London. Her work focuses on using creativity to connect and guide groups into deeper contemplation about issues concerning their liberation and well-being on personal and collective levels. As a guide, Ava is clear that the point of her work is to encourage students to become their own inner teachers, and she does this with both young people and adults. Ava is driven by the importance of making healing practices accessible to isolated and marginalized communities as a tool to unwind trauma. And she's been facilitating and creating training sessions in this field since 2017. And she's super passionate about creating safe, accessible spaces for self-exploration, expression and acceptance, and is deeply curious about how we do this across lines of oppression. With over 10 years of experience in yoga, creative practice, facilitation and performance, performance. Her teaching is often woven with song, poetry and play as a way to deepen our capacity to love and experience life. And I'm so excited to have her on the show. So Ava, a huge welcome to the show. Thank you, Leila. Thanks so much for having me on the Diverse Minds podcast. We are so excited to have you. And as we were talking before we started recording and I was saying how much I enjoy your yoga classes. And in fact, I plucked up the courage to contact you after attending an online retreat with you. So it's such a joy that you said yes. Oh, you're very welcome. So Ava, I've read out a bit of a bio, but I think it'd be great for listeners to hear in your words a little bit more about yourself and what you do and what brought you to this point. What was your journey to get to where you are today? Okay, well, it could be such a long story. Let me see if I can make it succinct. Yeah, so my name is Ava and I, um, for work, or I don't really say just work, but really purpose, because I feel like the things that I do I'm very grateful and lucky that the things that I do to make money nowadays for my work are things that I genuinely feel a part of my life purpose. So for work, I teach yoga and embodiment practices. I also do a lot of community work. I am what people call a creative facilitator, which basically means that I like working with groups in order to make it easier for people to connect, have realizations about themselves or society and themes, issues that we face in society, such as oppression or racism. Yeah, difficulty around difference, really. So that's a lot of the community work that I do. Um, And I do that with young people. So that's mainly 14 to 18 year olds. But I also do it with adults. I just finished running a course called Conscious Activism which was a collaboration with a charity that I'm on the board for, which is called the Empowerment Project, big shout out to them. And the course Conscious Activism was basically a course that brought together trauma sensitive, trauma informed healing practices with an activist lens towards working with communities that 
suffer an extreme level of trauma that might be from displacement. Traditionally, we started off working with refugees and asylum seekers, but it's also um, we've moved to also working with other marginalized communities as well. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing for work at the minute. I'm also doing a little bit of work right now with the police force and uh, changing the narrative and, and changing um, disrupting the status quo basically of policing in this country and addressing issues like racism with the police force um so yeah that's the work that i'm doing right now um i mean there's been a long journey for me to get there but i don't know how much you want me to share leila <laughs> I, I think uh, yeah one thing is if you're talking so really fascinating what you're doing in the work with the police crikey i can't imagine how needed that is but also we'll we'll pick it up towards the end but how you support yourself with that process. You know, yoga in this country has now become a very, a camp, I, I really do feel, and please challenge me on this, Ava, uh, quite a white space and yoga teachers look a certain way. You know, if you go on Instagram, you see a lot of blonde, very stick thin yoga teachers. If you think about the history of yoga, how when India was colonized and occupied, uh, it was actually banned. Um, it was seen as a really demonic practice. It was, people were stopped from practicing yoga to maintain their mental well-being. And now we've got this almost in some cases appropriation and this 360 um, degree flip on it um, and I'd really love to know your thoughts actually about becoming a yoga teacher the cultural element um, for you and being a yoga teacher of colour and how that comes together in the work that you do. Yeah thank you so much for coming with that awareness I also do feel like yoga um, the kind of the archetypal yogi as it is perceived in this country or even just i would say in the west is yeah like thin um, white women basically and even just recently i was kind of like having an eye roll moment of like googling um the you know some names of yoga poses i just wanted to remind myself kind of more obscure poses and 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 what they look like and then you know even in a google search you know googling the name of this asana like the whole search page was just 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 white women doing doing the asana and it is like oh it is it is kind of exhausting and it is true you know when i look back on on um the colonial history and times of the british raj and stuff in india these practices were demonized and and it feels like um you know it's part of my work but it's also very personal for me because you know i'm i'm also like desi culture I'm Gujarati on my mom's side of the family. And, um, and you know, I see how different qualities that have been now suppressed in modern Indian culture are kind of thriving a bit more in Western culture and how, well, let me just be specific, basically. I'm not talking so much about yoga, asana and the way that it's practiced in studios nowadays, but I think also sexuality and um, and the expression of sensuality and and sex is basically like Shakti, creative force and coming together with Shiva. These are all, this is a tantric understanding of life and it is part of my ancestry. It's part of my the lineage of who I am. And yet I notice that in um, in my family and in, you know, modern day, um, Indian culture, as I perceive it, sex is very suppressed, yet it is part of our cultural understanding going way back. And, you know, even words like yoni have kind of been appropriated 
and used more commonly nowadays by yeah kind of uh, western yogis and not necessarily as deeply understood of people who are part of that cultural diaspora of India and who come from that lineage of Tantra. So it is a bit of a situation. And also I don't want to say that anyone should stop practicing yoga. I do feel like it's a practice that I, I want to be shared, but definitely with some kind of respect and, and, um, and sharing of like understanding of where the practice comes from I think is really important in sharing any spiritual tool or even sharing samples of music or dance moves or whatever I just think it's kind of respectful and also like honoring of our human journey together to actually acknowledge where these things come from yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I have a whole podcast episode dedicated to cultural appropriation and, you know, what's the big deal and the misunderstandings around it. So what was your journey then? How did you find yoga and then decide you wanted to be a teacher? It'd be really interesting to hear what made you go into this path, follow this path for yourself. Mm. Yeah. So as I said, grew up in a Gujarati household and um, that culture was kind of most present as I was growing up. And then, so yeah, so my grandma, um, I kind of grew up listening to her chanting mantras and, and she's a devotee at uh, the Hare Krishna temple, which is in Watford near where my my mom lives. And so growing up, I was always kind of going with her and like, you know, performing seva with her and just kind of devotional like service in that way. And um, it's funny because I kind of didn't even, in my mind, I didn't even put that together with, oh, that's yoga, you know? <laughs> um, but obviously like, you know, the yoga that I saw people practicing in yoga studios that I first got into when I was um, in college, I was actually studying um, dance and performance art which I think also is really was really like key in my journey. But I actually started practicing yoga at that time because I wanted to find a practice that would help me to maintain flexibility for my dance practice, basically. And when I say practicing yoga, I mean practicing asana. And it really was just asana and like a little bit of pranayama here and there. Um, but I kind of I thought, oh, I've just started yoga. And it's so funny because it's like, no, that's not when you started yoga. You started yoga when you were just like with your grandma, you know, like bhakti yoga. Bhakti is like, yeah, devotional yoga, like the yoga of the heart and love and, and service in that way. And so I would say that my I started yoga with my grandma, like when I was a child. But then in the sense of like asana and stuff, yeah, it was when I was at college. And I kind of haven't really stopped from there. Um, but my yoga beca became, it's still very much about um, embodiment and asana and stuff, but it kind of, I understood it um, more and more from a, from like a spiritual lens as I continued practicing. At the beginning, I would just choose classes where I would just move my body and sweat and stuff and not demonizing that. I mean, I, I really like being in a body and I love being able to move. It is such a resource to me. Um, but I, I kind of developed into looking for practices that were more honoring and um, kind of aligned 
and they're focused and talking about spirit and talking about this as a practice to actually connect to energy, connect to awareness as we move. Mm, thank you, Ava. So true. And and on that point about movement in body and trauma, um, what does the term somatic movement mean to you? And in your experience of supporting people with trauma recovery, how have you seen transformation take place in, in terms of somatic movement? Because we know often talking therapy has a place, but it doesn't always work or it people have to find the right cultural signature for themselves. But I feel very strongly that somatic movement can really heal trauma in a very nourishing and holistic way. Yeah, definitely. So much to say to that. Well, I'll start by saying that the word somatic basically means just of the body. Uh, it comes from a Greek word soma, which again, just means body. So when I say somatic or when people refer to somatic, it basically just means yeah referring to experience and feeling of actually being in a body which is you know includes yeah the mind and whatever's going on in the mind but it's also yeah the the feeling sensation of of being present in our bodies so yeah so somatic movement i kind of use movement as a way to discharge express celebrate what it is that I'm feeling. I did that from way earlier than I actually learned to communicate about my emotions, to be honest. <laughs> I think that's why I got into um, performance art and wanting to, to use my body to tell stories from such a young age is because um, that somehow felt like a more accessible outlet than having a conversation with someone about how I was feeling. I don't think I would have known how to do that um, until maybe about six years ago and I'm, I'm 30 years old. So yeah, I think the body can be a huge way to just, just discharge and, and express and, you know, the mind and what we can process and understand and speak sometimes i mean talk therapy can be really really helpful and i do have a therapist that i i really feel like i need at the minute um but the body the body keeps score the body holds um memories and and there's so much you know science and experimentation being done to that has proven this you know the heart has has memory and, and the muscles deep towards the center of the body, the psoas muscle, they respond to trauma so deeply. And these things are really held, traumatic experiences are really held in the body. So as well as, you know, having a cognitive understanding of the things that we've experienced and using talk in order to, you know, have a catharsis around things, it can be, really really helpful to sometimes we just need to shake you know the way that um you know if you see if you watch these nature documentaries you know after the antelope's been chased by the lion and and, and runs away and you know manages to escape the antelope just shakes and just needs to just get out like oh my god i can't believe that just happened to me i need to let it go and if we don't then it can you know in the energy body and in the physical body, then is when it can start manifesting as dis-ease and, and move through our koshas or the layers of ourselves, as we call it in yoga, into the more gross, into gross illness, you know, when it's not kind of exercised, if you like, from the body. And I will just share, you know, a very personal experience. 
at the minute I'm, I'm, I'm in deep grief, to be honest, three weeks ago, or three weeks and two days ago, my, my brother was actually murdered. And it's been the most traumatic experience of my life. I can talk about it right now. And I, I kind of have waves as I go through each day, each hour at the minute. But moving my body has been such a resource. And sometimes I literally feel myself like needing to like violently shake my chest and my shoulders just to try and break up some of the tension that I'm feeling around my heart. Sometimes I need to feel that the whole weight of my body is being held by the ground. And I'm just, I'm kind of rolling very, just minimal and I can feel like the ground is like a mother. The earth is a mother and it's just catching me in the palm of its hand being the surface of the floor. And I'm just rolling around it. And I need to feel like I'm held and supported in that way. And then in other times, even this morning, I was at the gym and I wanna run and I want to be, I want to find some way of aggressively letting out the intense emotion that I'm holding inside of me and you know I see this as all part of my my somatic experience I I need that intensity and that rush of being able to let go of something and you know so that's all part of the somatic experience it's not that oh let's all be gentle gentle and we just lie down and we just we just practice our gentle asana and that's going to be therapy it will be sometimes but sometimes I need to be yeah, have a hypo, hyper, sorry, a hyper response to this and, and find some way of intensely letting this out. And, um, and that's something that I do actually guide people through in my classes. Often I'll have a section of just, all right, let's just shake now. And I'll put on some, you know, some intense music. And we just, here's a chance where you can just shake your body and, and have that response of, of just having a catharsis moment of letting anything out that you're holding inside, which you're ready to let go of a little bit. Ava, thank you so much. And I think I can extend my dear sympathy and apologies and condolences about what you've just shared and about your brother. And I think listeners would also agree, we're just so sorry. And it's amazing that you've decided to come here today and to talk to me. And I, again, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. And you taking the time, and this is what this month is all about, giving and sharing, that um, even in this, the, the, the situation that you've just described and your grief, that you are so open and caring that you're willing to share your own experiences, which will really, really help others. Yeah, thank you for saying that, Layla. Thank you. I mean, it feels like, you know, I have been cancelling some things, but it also is like, well, hang on, what am I here for? I've just seen that life is short. He was 44 years old. And it's like, I want my life to be in service of things that I really believe in that and I want to, to share it openly and, and yeah, speak about the things that I really care about yeah be a, a seed that creates more more revolution and more truth and love thank you so much and you you saying those words be a seed that creates more truth and love and thinking about the work that you do as a conscious activist for I, I call it global majority black diaspora and or BIPOC uh, people you know how do you do that how do you create that space for others and also look after yourself I think it would be really great to hear about that because I think there is a risk that we experience as activist burnout too oh god definitely definitely 
yeah, there's so many different things within this. There's, you know, there's burnout, which I've definitely experienced. Um, there's also secondary trauma or or um, vicarious trauma, which is basically the situation where you're just around so many other people's trauma all the time. And you're, you're focusing on so much grief and pain of people, even if it's not quote unquote your own, because it's really all of us, isn't it? But, you know, even if you're just around it, it's there's this kind of thing of like secondary trauma or vicarious trauma is when you just have this response of like, blankness or or you're experiencing you know intense traumatic symptoms just from being around these traumatic situations um and i think sometimes as activists or if you're a person who kind of has eyes wide or, or heart wide to really like take in and notice all the suffering that there is in the world there can be this overwhelm of like oh my god what can I do about this? How can I hold all of this? And, and that the overwhelm of that. <clears throat> and also the realization that we, we can't hold all of it, actually, we don't need to as individuals, like, hold all of it all the time. That's what causes burnout, or what, what I said, secondary trauma sometimes. Yeah, definitely, like in, in holding space, um, especially in longer courses that I've done around conscious activism, over the last few years or, or work with young people, there has been, I'm not gonna say that, you know, I'm perfectly managing it and that, oh, I never get burnt out. Sometimes it's like, oh my God, this has really become too much now and I need to step back and, and um, when it's possible to step back and yeah, delve into my own resources. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it's even possible to step back and it just does feel like, that baptism of fire like I really I'm, I'm I'm committed to teaching this course and yes this might be intense in this moment but I can I really try and just reach into the depths of my soul and remember my capabilities remember that I have a warrior within me everyone has a warrior within them and if this feels like something which is truly aligned to, to my purpose and what I feel like I need to do here in this lifetime, then I can do it. I have the capacity to do it. And there has been moments recently where I haven't felt completely resourced, but it's like, no, I believe in this. I know deep down that I have the strength to do this. So I'm just gonna do what I can to take care of myself. Those little moments like, sleeping with my hot water bottle or making myself that haldiki dude which is basically like um this uh, it's like haldi is is turmeric and dude is milk so that my nice warm comforting little milk turmeric drink in the night time those little moments those conversations with friends i'm going to keep it up with my therapist even when i'm not in complete collapse because i think sometimes like people who have therapists myself included it's like I feel fine this week, I'm just gonna cancel. And it's like, no, 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 I'm gonna keep going. Yeah, so many, so many resources. Walks in the park, music, oh my God, music. Just just dancing in my kitchen or listening, just walking along or anything, just things like that. Self-touch, massaging my body with oils, things like this, there's, there's so many I could list on and on and on. And um, depending on what people have available to them, I just, there could be so many different things for different people. Also meditation. Sorry, I forgot to say that one. 
Yeah, which also can links with yoga practice, doesn't it? As you were mentioning it when you were very young, that kind of seva, service, yoga practice, uh, meditation, mindfulness, um, really helpful for people. I think especially those of us who have had mental ill health as a result of our uh, cultural identity and race. Um, and, and so how do you think, you know, um, movement you mean you, you have given us a really good overview of that but somatic movement yoga um that the other self-care mechanisms you've described how do you think we could be as people of color embedding that more in our lives because those are so vital for recovery especially when we've experienced trauma related to our identity mm, gosh so much to say i don't want to generalize too much but me and also other um, women of color that I've, I've recently spoken to have definitely said that sometimes in our culture, and I know when I say our culture, it's like, oh my God, that's so broad. Yeah. But, um, it, there can be this thing of like, for example, my parents, you know, they, they moved to this country when they, they were like in their teen, teen years and like, um, especially my mom, like, and her fam, her side of the family, like, moved here in extreme poverty. And there was this thing of like, we have to work every minute. We've got to be doing something. Like, this is survival. We need to just be constantly doing this in order to stay alive. And you know, even now, like, my mom's. Though now, my mom and you know us lot who live here in London, like, you know, we're like comfortably middle class and you know as i as i grew older from being a child i really saw that oh my parents are able to to really kind of to, to offer and, and enjoy that the finer things in life and certain luxuries and and really like yeah quote unquote progressing in that way financially but there still is that mindset of like if i don't work myself to the bone i will not survive and um i think a lot of people of color people who you know are here in the UK well I don't know about if everyone is who's listening to this is here in the UK but where I am you know people who have moved through a diaspora and have landed in a new land there can be this thing of like we don't have time to take care of ourselves okay like we don't have time to sit down and to like do some la 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 movement practice it's like we have to work and only when we've worked 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 will we deserve quote unquote deserve to take care of ourselves because we would have earned it and it's like no 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 you know i i feel like my my parents like grafting in the hard work has afforded me the privilege to see that that is a lie that everyone deserves to be taken care of everyone deserves to be nourished and resourced and everyone is worthy of that no matter how hard or long a person is is working. So I think that for a lot of, of people of color that might feel relevant. And yeah, just, I think it is kind of a mindset thing of like, well, actually maybe you do have five minutes or maybe you you do deserve to take yourself to that, that yoga class. Or maybe you do actually deserve to go to therapy. You know, there's so many people in my family who are like, oh, I can't afford therapy. And it is true for some of them, but for some of them, it's like, I don't know if that's true. You know, like, is it that you feel like you can't genuinely afford it? Or is it that you feel like 
you don't deserve to spend that money on yourself every week or fortnight or month or whenever, however much frequently you might go to therapy. So it's like, yeah, just that that elevation, that boosting of self-worth of like, you deserve this time. You deserve to, if it, if you, you know, the, to whatever financial resources people have, you do deserve to spend some of that on yourself in order to take care of yourself, whether that's getting mentorship from someone else, some kind of teacher, or as I said, a therapist, or just taking the time to be like, you know, where possible, I know that everyone's obviously dealing with different socioeconomic situations, but where possible, like I deserve to rest today. So I think, yeah, that's a big part of it. Just so much of what you said resonates with me. Um, that whole thing about work yourself to the bone. You can only have a break when you deserve it. Um, and yeah, and I I try really hard, which is why I do what I do. But I'm really guilty of that. Um, that whole point about deserving and that it's a luxury and we shouldn't be doing this. And uh, whether you have what in the West we consider a, a you know high pressured career or constantly doing things at home, cooking, cleaning, DIY. What, you know all of that it's just so prevalent and I think to get out of that mindset um, it's a daily battle for me Ava it really is you just yeah. summarized it so beautifully there mm. yeah I can really link with that yeah it definitely is a thing it's like this like <laughs> mindset boasting about like I haven't even sat down yet today yes. <laughs> Yeah, and like the word aram, it doesn't actually mean relaxation. It means like a rest or a pause. Um, so even the way I think many South Asian languages talk about rest is very different to English spoken in the UK, America, Australia, South Africa, etc. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so thank you so much. That was very illuminating. And then in terms of workplaces, then, what do you think workplaces could do to talk and recognize trauma more and use somatic practices, bring it into the workplace to um, empower people to consider somatic practices for their trauma recovery? Mm. Um, I think, well, I'm, I work with one office in particular offering community engagement, yoga somatic practices to the employees and yeah i'm just thinking how to answer that question a kind of um it, it is helpful to to give people a space to connect in a way that isn't necessarily just about the themes of work but it's it's kind of like facilitating their yeah their, their connection and openness with one another and i think that yeah, myself included, sometimes it's like when I've been in workplaces in the past, I might have been going through something really huge um, in my personal life. And I've been like, oh, let me just keep that to the side. Like, I don't want to discuss that with these people. I don't really trust them enough or um, it's not that it's not deep enough. You know, I can't go into this with people. And I'm not saying that, you know, people should be going into like deepest catharsis with their, you know, their colleagues. It's not what I'm saying, but developing that group trust of, we don't just have to be 
work robots in this space like we can acknowledge that we have personal lives and that things happen in these personal lives and we have deep emotional worlds which we kind of bring with us to work even if we try and put them to the side and um yeah just giving people a space to acknowledge that in in their co-workers uh, that you know everyone's going through something yeah, so in the, these uh, events that I've been doing for this particular company, we do some embodiment practices and and I do a lot of work around just helping people to just get out of their heads and get helping people to get out of the framework of um, doing it right. You know, like, oh, if I do this, it will be right. Because at work, it's kind of like you have to, yeah, it, maybe it's a bit more like you have to do the thing right and do a, a, a good job. But just remind people that there are spaces where it's not like you have to do anything right here. You just have to be here. You just have to breathe and, and, and move your body in whatever way feels right. So giving offering people practices that aren't too prescriptive. And that is a practice that I, I that is something that I really do with trauma informed yoga practice as well as is, is, you know, show people a brief outline of of the asana or the pose but it's not so much of like okay well make sure your hand is exactly there okay bend your knee a little bit more make sure that your hip is exactly here or or too much focus around what the the shape looks like it's like just allow people to be in their experience a little bit more of course as long as they're safe in what they're doing you know in their bodies so giving people a space where yeah there's not so much right or wrong this is just about experiencing um so we do a lot of that and then actually we do some sharing some i ask questions to make it easier for people to connect some something like simple questions like nay uh speak for two minutes about a really a really pivotal moment in your life or or something like this to so just helping people to have those conversations that are maybe a little bit more vulnerable than they would usually have like in the kitchen of their office you know with their colleagues and just creating a little bit more of that group trust i think can actually i mean <laughs> offices hr teams love this word productivity right mm -hmm. yeah absolutely <laughs> like, the way that I sell it is like, it will increase your, produce your productivity. Like people will like working there a bit more, maybe if they feel like they have more, more trust and um, depth with the people they work with. And if they like working there, they'll probably stay longer and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah. So two really great points about the trust. I think that's so true. I would keep everything tight-lipped when I, when I had a normal proper job, I would be terrified. And I think culturally, Ava, I don't know if this resonates with you, but it was always, you don't go and talk about family business outside the house. And I think that can be a very cultural thing. And so it's knowing when you can do that and when people can actually help you. So I'm not, that's another reason I'm not great at asking for help. And that point that you also made about it's not prescriptive, it shouldn't be really uh yeah like you said your hip here your arm there thinking about what will work for people um and realizing that this is part of a bigger picture around well-being and i always talk about you've got to move away from the proverbial fruit bowl putting a fruit bowl in the kitchen that you mentioned in the in the staff room isn't going to solve people's challenges and like you said everyone's going through something so really useful things i think for people to consider yeah, thanks for saying so
Yeah, and then finally, you did talk about it earlier, but I just wondered if you'd like to share your top three mental health tips. So if you were just allowed to do three things for your mental health and well-being, what would they be and what would you like to share with our listeners? Oh, gosh, three. It's not enough. I would say definitely somatic awareness is 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 one of them of like being being a movement and being aware of my as my of my body as I go through my day like the feeling in my toes or or even the the temperature of the air as it comes into my body just these little feeling cues of oh actually it feels like this to be sitting in this chair right in this moment or yeah be, being more in that kind of visceral experience of life even you know right now i can i can hear that the rain is is very lightly just hitting on my window and just being in in that awareness flavor of what is happening in the moment i would say is huge yeah, and that one includes kind of movement and stuff. I'm trying to put as many things into each three so that I'm really getting juicy. <laughs> um, yeah, so that. And then another one would be deep, intimate, truthful conversation. And that's not with everyone, you know, there's, it is boundaries, like that, you know, it's not about kind of like, throwing everything out for everyone to take care of but those few people who you trust like being really kind of radically willing to like have an honest and like deep relationship with that person even if you have something difficult to say like actually just letting it out and trusting that if you if you let the truth out with someone that you trust even if you feel a bit uncertain in relationships or something over, God, what's this gonna create if I actually tell this person what I'm feeling, you know? I've been that person in the past of like, kind of like guarding the truth or kind of like hogging it to myself out of fear of, I don't know what this is gonna create if I say this, but just trusting in like the flow of life that actually if I say this thing, some new thing will evolve that is more aligned to who I really am and what I really feel. And so that one includes also speaking to a therapist, you know, a therapist. It is different sometimes speaking to a therapist than even your best friend or your partner or whoever you're closest to, because they don't, it's just that that isolated relationship where nothing else is expected from you, from them, of you, from them, other than you just go, you pay, and then you just say whatever it is that you want. So it can be, even less filter when you speak to someone professional. And then the third one would be, yeah, like nourishment in terms of, for me, food is a huge thing, like eating food that is, that feels the, like the medicine for the moment, you know? And it's not always like, you know, green juice. Like sometimes it's gonna be like, I need a burger right now. I need something heavy and something that's gonna sit in my, you know, heavy in my stomach for a minute or sometimes it might be a glass of wine or or something like I'm I'm very into Ayurveda and it's a, the medicine of Ayurveda is basically like well what is it for whom and when it's like 
the medicine is going to be different depending on the season, depending on your elements, depending on all of these things. And so just having that balance with with nature, with my feeling body and with everything of like, what is the medicine of nourishment that I need to take in right now? And when do I actually need to fast and not take anything in? And that can also be a medicine. So yeah, kind of relationship with with what I take in in a conscious and a, a nourishing way is a real resource for me. Thank you so much. And I love asking that because every guest has something different. So really brilliant to hear you as no one has mentioned the food as medicine before. So that's brilliant. Um, so finally, Ava, our conversation is coming to an end and I'm really hoping that people are like, wow, I want to work with her. Uh, I want to know more about her. So if they do, and I will, of course, include the links in the show notes, how should people contact you? Where should we send people to after they listen to this podcast? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Ava Zara, and then you can also email me. So um, uh, Leila, I'll give you my email address, and you can just put it in the in the show Great. notes. Um, I have a project called the Creative Soul Collective, um, which is a podcast, a blog, and also all the workshops and and kind of events that I do. And so the website for that is thecreativesoulcollective.com. And people can find more of my work, my passions, um, and yeah, projects that I'm, I'm kind of working on, they can find them on that website. So I guess that's that's the way really. I'm, I'm very open to, to collaboration and, and uh, yeah. Brilliant, thank you so much, Ava. What an amazing conversation. I've learned so much and hearing your very calm, relaxing voice. And again, once again, we thank you so much for taking time out when you're having a really difficult and challenging personal situation to share and be kind and supportive to others. So really hope you enjoyed the show, everyone. And we'll see you in the next episode. In March, we're focusing on recognition. So we've got four episodes about different areas of recognition in and inside the workplace. And just want to say a huge thank you again to Ava. Thank you so much, Leila and Diverse Minds Podcast. Oh, a pleasure. Take care, everyone. Until next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.